0: His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Are you excited to be here today? Hey, yeah, that's awesome. did Did you guys enjoy our students leading this worship today? Yeah, let's let's give them a give them a hand and what? How awesome to uh, just be led into the presence of God by young people who love Jesus, and that that excites me. Does that excite you? And so, thankful to our student leaders, several of them that were up here, helped lead them in student ministry, and appreciate uh, Stefan and Carlos as they lead our student ministry. Of course, uh, Stefan leads our worship ministry, and it was just exciting to see that. And it just so happens that it came today on the fifth Sunday when we have family worship, and how cool is that for us to, to experience that together? As I was looking around the room uh, during the worship, I saw several different. Groupings of people with, with uh, grandma and grandpa worshiping with their grandkids. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, that's pretty. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. Hallmark is, is unique in that way that we are a multi-generational church. And of course, some of you parents and maybe even grandparents this morning, you're, you're filled with a little anxiousness because your, your child or grandchild is in church today. That might make a little, might make you a little nervous. Anybody a little nervous today? And so I just want to say, it's going to be okay. We're all family in here, right? And it'll be okay. Uh, one of the reasons that we have family worship typically on the fifth Sunday of the month is that we can uh, give our kids workers a break. Can we give a hand to all our volunteers and especially those who work in kids ministry? Uh, But then also, because I think it's a great discipleship opportunity for your kids to sit in big church uh, with mom and dad, or aunt and uncle, or grandma and grandpa, or all the above. And so we're excited that they're in here today. And uh, I want to invite you to find your way to the book of Lamentations. You probably haven't sat through many series on the book of Lamentations, and in case you're trying to find it. Find the middle of the Bible, Psalms, take a right, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Lamentations, all right? So if you're on your phone or iPad, it's much easier to find it. And also, you can go to the UVersion Bible app, all the notes in there. If you go under events, you can find Hallmark Church and find the notes from this morning. Now... My brother wrote a book last year entitled Beauty from Ashes. This is what the title of our series is, and it really walks through the book of Lamentations. So we're going to get a lot of information. I hate to give my brother credit, but I'm going to. Uh, He probably stole it from me at some point, Uh, but we'll give him credit where credit is due and wrote this book on Lamentations. He preached through it last year, and, and so really I... I've never preached through the book of Lamentations, so I do appreciate my brother did some of the work for me. That was awesome. And uh, in the back, on your way out, there's a table uh, just before you leave the sanctuary that has this book on there, and we're just making that available for free to you. If you want to get some additional information or as you study, I would encourage you to study the book of Lamentations as we walk through it the next few weeks. Let me give you a little bit of context or background about the book, because you like me, probably haven't done a lot of study on lamenting. Like nobody wants to come to church and be sad, right? We don't want to sing any sad songs, right? The author, most scholars agree that was the author is Jeremiah. Often, Jeremiah is known as the weeping or lamenting prophet. The actual Jewish or Hebrew name for the book of Lamentations' the original title was not Lamentations, but was the, was the word, the English word would be how. And the reason is because chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4, if you look through those, the first letter, or excuse me, the first word of those chapters is the word how. Like, how God could this be happening? How is the destruction? And, and so originally the title would be how. Uh, most believe this is an epilogue or a kind of a follow-up to the the book Jeremiah. It was written, most believe, around 586 after the destruction and the the invasion of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. It's really five different poems, okay? Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, four, and five, all a different poem. It's written in an acrostic format where chapters one, two, uh, four, and five, there's 22 verses in each chapter, 22 verses that represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each verse starts, so, verse 1 would have started in our alphabet with the letter A. Like for us, we're going to write a book, right, in the acrostic format. A, admit that you are a sinner. Verse 2 would be B, believe that Jesus died for you. C would be confess your sins to Christ, all right? Are you guys tracking with me? So that's kind of the format of chapter one, two, four, and five. Chapter three, there's 66 verses, and it follows the same pattern, and yet instead of one verse for each letter, there's three verses for each letter, which would bring it up to 66 verses. Now, many believe that Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations from a cave, on a hill just north of Jerusalem. And that is, he wrote and looked and observed the temple being destroyed, the city being utterly destroyed, that he wrote a lament, the Book of Lamentations. If you went to Israel today, you would see that hill and it would be known as Jeremiah's Grotto. And in fact, The famous painter Rembrandt painted this picture, one of his earliest paintings. And I don't know how well, we have a picture for you, I don't know how well it's going to show up on the screen just because it's dark and and it's an old, a print of a print of a print. But his elbow is kind of leaning on, if you could see it clearly, the words would say Holy Bible. In the distance that you can't see so clearly is Jerusalem on fire. You could look it up. You could Google it and probably see a little clearer image. But what I want us to think about this morning and as we start this series, I want to read for you from a commentary in the Holman Study Bible that kind of gives us a little bit of maybe perspective or understanding as we read and study this book, maybe when we deal with suffering. So how many of you have ever dealt with suffering? Have you ever felt like when you were in the midst of suffering that you had no hope? Anybody felt like that? How many, though, in the midst of your suffering, you have experienced hope? Well, we're going to talk a little more about that. But let me read for you, and it's going to be on the screen for us this morning. It says this, Few things contrast religious and humanistic traditions more than their respective responses to suffering. So the first part of this quote, it just kind of gives us this understanding, this thought, that we're kind of divided on how we respond to suffering. Those who follow Christ, those who don't follow Christ. It goes on to say the humanist sees suffering as a bare, impersonal event without ultimate meaning, right? We're just here. We live our life. Life is over. That's it. Like a fatalistic mindset. Our purpose for believers' suffering is personal. That's a personal problem. Because they believe that all events of history are under the hands of a personal God. Let me, let me explain what that means. So if you have a humanistic philosophy, we're here, we're gonna die, and and well, that's the end of it, well then suffering's just whatever. But if as a follower of Jesus and as a person who believes that in the sovereignty of God, that as we often say, God is good and God is in control, then when I enter into a season of suffering and I believe that God is in control and I believe that God is sovereign, well, then it brings me to a crisis of belief. That's where it says, and if that's true, if God is in control and I'm suffering, this is gonna lead me to a crisis of belief, which leads to the next slide. How can God's love and justice be reconciled if we're suffering? If we're in pain? Right? Do you, you, you realize the tension here? I believe God is good and I believe God is in control, but my life stinks right now. Then how do I reconcile that if a God is good and God is in control and God loves me and God works all things together for my good according to his purpose and his plan? And I wish, I wish this next statement in this commentary says lamentation perfectly answers that question for us. But it doesn't say that. Lamentations gives us no easy answer to the question. But it helps us meet God amid our suffering and teaches us the language of prayer. In other words, we can find hope. In our suffering. And as I read this quote, I immediately thought of a, another famous quote by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says this God whispers to us in our pleasures, He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And suffering, then, what C.S. Lewis would say is sometimes God's way of getting our attention of turning our heart back to him. It's interesting that as we just left the book of Esther that we wrestled with three questions in the book of Esther. And as we now enter into the book of Lamentations, it seems that these three questions are still very prevalent. We ask these three questions. Do you believe God is good, yes or no? Yes. Do you believe God is in control? Well, here we are back to what we just talked about, right? This is the crisis of belief. If I believe God is good and God has a control, the faith part of that is when life is not good, when I'm in a season season of suffering, am I going to believe that God is good and God is a control even in my hurt, even in my confusion, even in my pain, even in my suffering. Because it's easy to say God is good when God is good, right? But but the faith comes when life maybe isn't like we planned it. This morning, as, as it's family worship, I want to invite, I've got eight students, eight of our elementary students that I've asked if they would come up here and help me. So would you guys... Uh, those eight of you that I asked would you come on up here uh, we're gonna we're gonna have an object lesson this morning and um, can we give them a hand on their way up here so I, I hadn't really you guys can just stand on that line how about that all right I hadn't really um, planned th- William and I had not planned by the way I want to say thank you to William uh, to all of you leaders and and connect groups that uh, said such great words about our staff. And I want to say, as a pastor, I really appreciate our staff. We have a great staff. Could we we give them another hand? I appreciate them. But I I hadn't planned on, William showed you his Noah socks, right? And I want to say thank you to, to Allison, our children's director. She coordinated with all the kids, and they got me tons of socks. They wanted to Bless the socks of me or something like that, right? And I couldn't figure out which ones to wear. I, I, someone, I don't know who, got me the nastiest, ugliest pair of socks. They were Jets socks. So I, I, I thought about wearing them, but I, I chose not to. Um, then someone else who, this may be even a worse gift. I got Philadelphia Eagle socks, not fly, eagle, fly, but n- never mind, I'm not going to say it. But someone did give me these ranger socks, all right? All right, very good. So so thank you, kids, for all of you. I know some of you were a part of getting me jet socks. Um, so I appreciate that, Kalen. All right, so what I want to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand these out to you, okay? So here we go. You guys can take a second to look at that. What we're going we're gonna to do, I accidentally gave you two, sorry, three years on the ground. Are you guys doing good today? Yeah. Are you guys a little nervous? Yeah. A little bit? Parker says a lot. All right, let's have a vote. Raise your hand. Are you really nervous? <laughs> Alex and Parker, Genevieve, a little bit. How many of you aren't nervous at all? All right, Hattie and Riley. George is praying about it, all right, good. Um, so what I want you to do, we're gonna play a game. So everybody's looking at, you guys look at your papers there. We, now turn it the other way and let everyone else see it, all right? So we have Esther becomes queen of Persia. We have Daniel in the lion's den, Josiah's reformed, Jeremiah taken to Egypt. Jeremiah called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, and then King Josiah, who's eight years old, okay? So what I want them to do, is I want you guys, you're going to have 30 seconds to do this. I want you to put this in the right order, okay? From what happened first to what happened last. Do you think you guys can do that? How many of you have faith they can do it, yeah? Okay. How many of you think you could do it? All right. All right. So cue the music. Go. Go. You can clap for them if you want. I mean, you can cheer for them. You can whatever. <laughs> They're actually working together. This is awesome. I figured there'd be a fight or something. Four, three, two, one, go. All right. Stand up. You guys ready? Ready? All right, grab it and grab them and show them which order you got, all right? so Just grab them in order, there you go, perfect. I'm gonna get my cheat sheet because I don't think I could do it either. <laughs> we good? Do, do we think they're right? All right, hold it up, George, who we got? Jeremiah taken to Egypt, Josiah's reform, Shadrach, Jeremiah, Esther, King, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, from what it looks like to me, you have, um, how many of you think they got three out of the eight? How many of you think you got zero out of eight? It's, it's zero out of eight, okay. <laughs> Sh- should we give them 30 more seconds? Okay, so if it's easier to just stand and like get it in a different order, all right. Ready, one, two, three, go. You work on it how you want though. I'm, I'm not the boss. Five, four, three, two, one, boom. All right, very good. All right, now pick up the correspondent just pick it up. Which way are we going? I guess we should determine that. All right, from this way to this way, all right? Daniel 1, Daniel 3, Daniel 6. Now, that's, those are in order, right? Yeah? Okay. So what, let's, let's see here. Josiah is eight years old. All right, not in order. But I want to move you over here. Okay. Hattie, there we good. And then how about where's Jeremiah called? All right, come over here, Genevieve. Genevieve. <laughs> I thought you knew your name, George. All right, you stand between here, right here, Genevieve. There you go. All right, now Josiah. Where's another one? Josiah is the king. Where is he? You? Where's the other one? Know, right oh, yeah, it's right here. You're already in the place. I'm the one that's confused now. All right. 26. Josiah's 26 years old. Who's got that one? Right here, Alec. Come right there and stand. Okay, and now we have King Nebuchadnezzar invades. You're in the right spot. Give Reese a hand. All right. Very good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hmm. Is that right? Who thinks it's right? You guys are not very confident. It's right. All right. Jeremiah is taken to Egypt. All right. Go right there. Right between the two sisters. All right. And Riley. Guess what? Riley's in the right spot. Give her a hand. Which also means Parker's in the right spot. Very good. And Parker, whether you know it or not, you're the one that gave me the ranger socks. So... Did you know that? No. No? All right. I I didn't think so. All right. So here's the proper order. It's on the screen. Can we give them a hand? All right. So, all right. Since since it is Fallapalooza, should I give them candy for helping? I want candy. You guys don't want candy? I want candy. We want candy. I'm not convinced. Do you think they want candy? All right. Take a piece or ten. (laughs) all right and why don't you just stick your paper on the back after you get your candy and then let's give him a big hand again all right so good very good all right Alec just jumping off all right Alec I've always wanted to do that but I'm afraid I'll break my ankle so that's good So as we've just come out of Esther, we see that the scene we're in is about a hundred years prior to Esther, right? The Babylonians overthrow the Jewish people. Then later, when Esther comes on the scene, the Persians had overthrown the Babylonians, and the Israelites were still in captivity. And as we walk through this this morning, and even through the next, next few weeks, Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself, specifically today. Do we take the sin in our lives as seriously as God does? Okay, you don't have to answer it out loud, but can I give you the answer? <laughs> no. That's a pretty easy answer. Maybe I, maybe I could have rephrased or should rephrase, or maybe a follow up question is should we take sin in our lives as seriously as God does. Yes or no? Yes, okay. So it seems like that we're in agreement that we should, but that we don't. Is that true? Is that, are we in agreement of that? Yes. Thank you. We are in agreement. And that's when we, when we walk into the chapter one. What we're gonna see in chapter one is a description of the emotion It's a description of the experiences of the nation of Israel when God allowed the Babylonians to overthrow them. Jeremiah is sitting on the side of a hill watching the city burn, and he weeps, it says in verse number 16. And the reason that Jeremiah is so emotional over what he sees in the destruction of the nation of Israel, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem is because for 40 years, Jeremiah has preached and proclaimed the truth of God's word and Jeremiah has begged and pleaded with the nation of Israel to turn from their sins. The nation of Israel lived in covenant with God and the nation of Israel's covenant was, God had told them, if you walk in obedience, then you will walk in my blessings. And if you walk in disobedience, then you will walk in discipline and judgment. And for 40 years, Jeremiah, remember that one of the pictures up here was Jeremiah was called as a youth. And in Jeremiah chapter one, we read this last week, God came to Jeremiah as a youth and says, I want you to surrender to my will. And Jeremiah's like, no, I'm just a youth. And that's one of the reasons I think about that. Jeremiah is saying, "No, I'm not. I'm not old enough. I can't do it." We saw up here on the stage Josiah, who was king at the time that Jeremiah was proclaiming the truth and was calling the people to repentance. And probably around age 26, as a young adult, King Josiah started his kingship as. As an eight-year-old and as a young adult, King Josiah tries. It says there, Josiah's reform. He tries to call the nation of Israel to repentance. He finds the book of the law, and he's begging and pleading with the prophet Jeremiah. Turn from your sins. Walk in obedience so that you can walk in the blessings of God. And, and they did not do it. And Jeremiah then sits on the side of a hill, Weeping his people William said and alluded to the Paul and Paul said ministry's tough he goes in this one passage and he talks about all the beatings he's taken imprisonments shipwrecks and, it's, and then he says not only to mention the care I have for the people of God. It was almost as if Paul was saying, dealing with you people is harder, more emotional, more taxing, more draining, more important than being shipwrecked, beaten, or imprisoned. And Jeremiah as the heart of a pastor. You know, uh, today is pastor, this month is Pastor Appreciation Day. And I, I want to say publicly to, to my pastor, my dad, yeah. thank you. To my mom, thank you. I grew up in a home with a dad, with a, my pastor, you know, for for 18 years, it was not my choice that he was my pastor. But for many years, it was my choice. But I grew up in a home where, where I saw the passion of a pastor who loves his people deeply. The passion of a pastor who, like Jeremiah, begs and pleads for the people to walk in obedience. That's what we read in Lamentations chapter one. So let's let's read it this morning. How lonely sits the city. Here's the contrast of what the city was like before the the, the devastation and after. It was full of people. How like a widow is she, who is great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to set the feast, to the set feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. And here's a, a pivotal statement. For the Lord has afflicted her. This particular suffering Is because of the Lord. And why has the Lord afflicted her? Because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. Look at verse number eight. Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. She sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirt. She did not consider her destiny. This, this is what sin does to us. We don't look down the path to see what sin is going to do and how destructive it's going to be. She doesn't look at her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. Terrible is a better word. She had no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction for the enemy is exalted. Years ago, this is a famous quote that many people quoted, and I, I haven't heard it as much recently. Um, the quote is from Ravi Zacharias. And the reason I haven't heard it, I don't think, as much recently is because uh, recently Ravi Zacharias passed away. If you don't know who he is, he was a, uh, had a, a large ministry. I mean, a great ministry, an apologist. I mean, a great, powerful preacher of the word. And here is his quote. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And the reason I don't think I hear people quote him as often is after he passed away, it was brought to the light of all the wicked things he was a part of. And I would say that the statement has more power and warning with it because of it. A, a godly man who had sin in his life that he didn't deal with, that he didn't repent, that had such a stronghold on him. And what payment was paid for? Lamentations is a warning for us. Verse number 10. Let's keep reading. The adversary has spread his hand over all the pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those who command not to enter your assembly. I'm just going to quickly read and kind of walk through these next few verses very quickly. Verse number 7, 11, excuse me. says, see, and I want you to point it out. It says, "O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. There's no doubt, as Jeremiah writes, and he writes on behalf of the nation of Israel, that they have no doubt that God is the one who brought this destruction. Verse number 12, it says, which, the last part, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. Verse number 14, the yoke of my transgressions was bound. The last part of the verse, the Lord delivered me into the hands of those who I'm not able to withstand. Verse 15, the Lord has trampled underfoot all mighty men in his midst. The last part of verse 15, the Lord trampled as a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. Verse 17, the Lord has commanded concerning Jacob. Verse number 18, the Lord is, I want us to look on the screen, verse number 18. The Lord is, what's the word? The Lord is what? God is a holy, righteous God. And he demands from his people, here the nation of Israel, that they would walk in obedience. For us today, as followers of Jesus, that God demands us to walk in holiness. The question we started this morning with is, do we take sin as seriously as God takes it? The answer for all of us was, no. Should we take sin as seriously as as God does? And the answer was, yes. And so my question for you this morning is, we're, we're all in agreement We all said that we don't take sin as seriously in our life as God does. We were also all in agreement that we should take sin in our life as seriously as God does. We see over and over in the Old Testament the judgment of God and the discipline of God on the nation of Israel because they would not walk in obedience. And he had warned them. He had told them time and time again, all the minor prophets, right? Jeremiah goes and he warns for 40 Years, repent or you will be destroyed and they don't repent and God is faithful to keep his word. And for you, David prayed, search my heart, oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. The book of Lamentations calls us this morning to pray that prayer. God, is there unconfessed sin in my life? Is there things in my life that I need to deal with? The big question, do we take sin in our lives as seriously as God does? Here's some great news. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from, from some unrighteousness. No, it's from all unrighteousness. Anything we lay before God, he will forgive and he will restore and he will reconcile. Can you say amen to that? Amen. James 5:16 says we are confess our sins and our trespasses one to another that we may have healing. We need to go to God and confess our sins so we can receive forgiveness and restoration, and reconciliation, but we need to have people in our life, other followers of Jesus, who we can confess our sin to, so that we can have healing, and walk in holiness with our God. I'm gonna give you four quick points of application about suffering. We could spend a whole another hour just on this first message, but... It is family worship, so I'm gonna honor our time. I would encourage you, as I said, the, the book is in the back. It'll go in a little more detail than I had time for this morning. I do wanna be clear. I think suffering in our life is probably, could, could be um, the result of three different things. This is not in the notes, but suffering in my life could be a result of my sin, that God could be disciplining me. Hebrews talks about God chastens those whom he loves, those who belong to him. First Corinthians, Paul warned the church at Corinth that because of your sin, some of you are sick and some of you have died. God still disciplines us in our sin. The reason God disciplines in our, us in our sin is because he wants what's best for us. What's best for us is to walk in obedience with Christ. So sometimes suffering is a result of my own sin. Sometimes suffering is just as a result that we live in a fallen world. It wasn't God's plan, but because Adam and Eve, and, Adam and Eve sinned, death entered in. Sometimes that's just a result. Sometimes my suffering is just because I'm not very smart and I make bad decisions. Can you agree with that? I mean about you, not me. Can you agree with that? Four quick things like suffering certainties. Number one, sin causes a loss of joy, fellowship, blessing, and most importantly, our testimony. When Samson sinned, the Philistine people mocked his God. And when I sin, I give opportunity for people to mock the God I worship. Number two, I love this quote all suffering is not caused by sin, but all sin will ultimately lead to suffering. If you are a follower of Christ, God will not let your sin go unchecked. If you're living in habitual sin, unconfessed sin before God, like Jeremiah, I'm warning you to confess. And if you've lived in continual habitual sin without the discipline of God, you may not be a child of God. You may be pretending. Number three, suffering from sin is personal and purposeful. God's discipline is meant to cause us to trust and obey him. God knows what's best for us, whether we believe it or not. Because God is good and God is in control. So these opportunities of suffering and pain and hurt are opportunities for us to just trust God. I believe God is good and I believe God is in control, but am I going to trust him until he proves it? That's the opportunity. And number four, suffering tends to cause us to respond in one of two ways. Worry. In other words, we're not believing God will get it right. You realize that's the root cause of worry? We don't trust God enough. Or bitterness. Believing God did not get it right. Suffering tends to cause us to respond to worry or bitterness. And maybe this morning you were like, I came to church to get encouraged not to be, read a song of lament. This is heavy, right? We were were on the mountaintop singing with the students and then Pastor John came up there and like kicked the chair out from under us. You felt that a little bit? It's okay. I can handle it. It's not me though, it's the word of God. And maybe you needed the chair kicked out from under you. But I don't want to leave you without hope. Every week we're going to go to really the central theme of Lamentations. Look at Lamentations chapter number three. Verse 21. Jeremiah in the cave. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have. What's the word? Say it again. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why? Because of his compassions fail not. They are new every... They are new every great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion... Says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. If you are in a season of hurting, grief, and sorrow, can I say your only hope is Jesus? Jeremiah, sitting in a cave. What we now call Jeremiah's grotto on the northern side of Israel as he looks into Jerusalem. He pens these words through the Lord's mercies, his love, we are not consumed. His compassions, they fail not. His mercy is new every 600 years later, on that same hill, also known as Golgotha, the King of Kings, Jesus, would be placed on a cross to prove the words Jeremiah wrote His mercies are everlasting. His compassions fail not, great is his faithfulness. Jesus hung on that cross to prove he loves you. And in your season of suffering, he sees you, he knows, he cares. And if your suffering is a result of your sin, He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He can use you. God, I ask you this morning, as we close out this song and worship through song, Lord, I pray that you would, through your spirit, those who right now are struggling, that they would put their hope in you. They would put their trust in you. God, as we sing these words, Lord, we need you. That we would believe it and we would act on that. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning and we're gonna finish with a song of worship. I would encourage you as we sing, if God has spoken to you, the altar is open, come and pray, come and see God. Maybe you need to confess something today. Maybe you just need to remind yourself, this I recall to my mind, Jeremiah said, that God is good and God is faithful. Maybe this morning, is just an opportunity to come down and pray and say, God, I'm in it, but I'm gonna trust because you're good. Let's worship together.